0: Okay. So, oh no, I start with this. Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jim. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life.
1: The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life.
0: Mosquito edition. Mosquito
1: edition. Oh wait, you know what we haven't done in a while? What? That I thought about the other day. Um, if you haven't watched or listened to our show much, and you're relatively recent,
0: oh yeah, this we used to do this pretty regularly. Yeah, about every right.
1: five or ten episodes, something like that. Um, when we say Melissa's a chemist, she really, truly is.
0: Real life chemist, baby.
1: She has a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is wild.
1: Yep, and I have a bachelor's in not chemistry, and she's the expert in chemistry. She researches stuff. Looks up things, creates, the, puts the episode together. Teaches it to me. Not a chemist.
0: Actually, Jam's degree is in this. All of this. Right. Radio, television, and film. So he is the reason it sounds amazing when you're listening. And that we have cameras, et cetera. But, um, yeah, he doesn't have a background in chemistry.
1: And each each episode that you watch, also teaches me something that I've never learned before unless it relates to other episodes we've learned in the past, but Mm -hmm. it's totally new to me and she does not prep me at all. And I have no unfair advantage. And I'm just learning along with you guys.
0: The one unfair advantage I think Jam does have is that he listens back to every episode. So he listens when I teach him and he listens when he edits it. That's true. So to be on Jam's level, you probably need to listen to it like three times. (laughs)
1: That's true. (laughs) Although I don't have to do that quite as much as I used to because we have changed our production stuff so you know I'm not having to listen intently looking for every cough and um and you know whatever else like we used to do a lot more of that that's true and so now I don't have to listen with that level of intensity you know so because we try to keep it all one live show thing yeah
0: that's true I do like that we've switched to that and that it's more like conversational and a little bit less production heavy
1: yes me too
0: but speaking of that, I was in the middle of telling you Mosquito Edition mosquitoes and I was done. excited you are going to be like, oh my gosh, mosquitoes again. And instead, yeah. said you're like, wait, let's do this other thing. Yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> I am excited about this. And I was just, it was, as you were saying that, I was like, oh wait, before you even had said mosquitoes, I was like, oh, I was going to do this thing that we used to do. <laughs> um, Mosquito Edition. And we haven't added a chapter to the mosquitoes thing in a while, right?
0: Like a year. Yeah. I think it was last. Last fall is when we last talked about
1: this. Okay, that sounds right.
0: So there's a new chapter in the Mosquito Saga.
1: Okay, nice.
0: And um, I want to shout out listener and our IRL friend, Nicole, of Catherine Nicole Photography. If you live in the DFW area, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she sent us an article from the Washington post that highlighted a new study. That's sort of the next stair step in the saga of the mosquitoes and humans story.
1: The war that has been
0: mm-hmm.
1: raging for millennia. Yeah, probably
0: it's a research update. We do research updates in group meeting like, Oh, here's a little update on how my research is going. So yeah. This is me giving y'all a little update on how the mosquito research is going. Nice. <laughs> nice. So I was really excited. Um, and I a part of why I really like this journey. I think I said it last time is because I feel like you're really getting to experience as non-science people, what the scientific process is like genuinely like an exciting thing happens once a year, mm-hmm. usually. <laughs> and it's these little steps that build on what came before until something, uh, some kind of conclusion is reached that solves a problem, you know? Okay. Um. So I really like that. And Um, we also, so, you know, about three years ago is when we first started this, we talked about why mosquitoes bite people and Mm -hmm. do mosquitoes bite some people more than others. And then we also talked about what is DEET and what the potential future was for um, mosquito repellents. Mm -hmm. And in those episodes, we also kind of talked about approaches you can take to research. So one is sort of throwing everything at a wall and seeing what sticks. So that's how they actually came up with DEET, which arguably is the best thing we have at this time to uh, repel mosquitoes. Okay. Um, and it was in, I think we talked about maybe it was part of some military research.
1: Oh yeah. That sounds familiar.
0: And then the other pros- part of the process, which I think is a little bit more thorough because it understands the underlying causes, but I do think it can take a lot longer is, you know, how does this thing work? And then what do we need to do to solve the problem? So in the case of mosquitoes, it's like, how are mosquitoes finding us? And once we know that, then we can know how to stop them from finding us. Right, right. So this is another stair step in that part of the research where we're learning more about how mosquitoes are finding us. And you're getting to actively sort of watch this staircase be built as we learn a little bit more year after year. So that is what I think is really fun. That's definitely
1: fun. The way you said that, We have to find out how mosquitoes are finding us. For some reason, the way you worded that made me envision like this, like a classic sort of movie uh, police (laughs) interrogation scene where it's like, How are you finding (laughs) us? Like, like they're like, you know, grabbing them by the collar, grabbing a mosquito by the collar, and like, Tell us, tell us. And this is like, He's just not telling us. They're just not going to break. This is like a crime. We're trying to get one of these mosquitoes to fess up to to something, but they just won't tell us. We have to keep just finding it out ourselves.
0: <laughs> well, um, they, they gave up a little more information on this saga. Okay, That's nice. a funny visual. I hope we have some really gifted artistic <laughs> listeners that if one of you want to make a sketch of a mosquito being interrogated, that would be hilarious. Yes, 100%. Um, okay, so the other thing I do want to shout out as well is, so I, I read this article and it mentioned the researchers by name. So I went to um, one of them. He is actually, um, a postdoc named Mm -hmm. Diego Giraldo and I saw he had a Twitter and then he had tweeted recently about this paper being published with scientists do a lot. And he had quote tweeted from his research group a little bit from their perspective in everyday language, Twitter appropriate level, a summary of their research. Uh huh. And a lot of scientists will do that. And so if you have something that, you know, you read a paper or you like an article in the newspaper, or you hear something, if you can find the scientist's name, you can usually go to Twitter and there is a corner of Twitter for academic people who tweet about their research. Wow. Usually like if a paper comes out, they'll tweet about it, you know? Yeah. So this was really fun. Um. So shout out to Diego Giraldo. He's a, a postdoc. That's also what I am. So- a lot of times we talked about this last time as well. A lot of times research is done primarily by the postdoc and the grad students. They're the ones actually like sort of designing and running the projects with the supervision of the, um, what they call a primary investigator a principal investigator PI for short. That's the person who sort of came up with this field of research as something that they wanted to do and wrote grants to get money to fund it because you need money to do. research. Right. So a lot of times, um, the postdocs and the graduate students are the ones sort of running the experiments. And in this case, that was what Diego Giraldo did. And then, um, so that'd be Dr. Giraldo. And then the PI would be Dr. McMinneman, I think is how you pronounce it. Okay. And so you can go to, um, either one of their Twitters will retweet some of their posts so that you can see them. So that's exciting.
1: Yeah. That's cool.
0: And I love that you can hear it research from their own, uh, their own mouths. Oh, and there was like, I think one or two short, like five minute podcast interviews hmm. that you could listen to with the, um, the principal investigator, but it it was definitely interesting and really good information. But I really want to put this research in the context of the conversations we've had before. And also maybe like shed some light on the behind the scenes of research that you can't talk about in a five minute conversation. Right. So right. that's, that is good information. Definitely. You can go listen to those. They're going to be linked in our resources But that's not exactly the same conversation we're going to be having here. Okay. So I wanted to share that as well, that you could hear from the scientists. I think that's really important to lift up their voices. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to get into it. I just realized I even wrote, okay, so in my notes, (laughs) (laughs) I guess I really think about how I'm going to talk through things with you. (laughs) Okay. So here's what's different about this study than all the studies before. That's really exciting. Okay. I'm ready. This study was done in probably as close to a natural environment as can possibly be done for a study like this. Okay. So instead of being uh, in a lab with a lot of glass boxes, you know, that's kind of what we talked about before. And they used nylons to get human scent, you know, and it's usually just between, it was between two different, like a uh, March Madness round robin style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is actually an able to compare multiple humans at once. Okay, so it's it's outside, sort of in a natural environment, and there are multiple humans being compared at once. okay, And we've talked about before, but you have to do this ethically, and you also have to have some scientific control, right? So I think they did a really good job in this study of trying to put it in nature, but they still had control over the mosquitoes to some extent. and mm-hmm they also protected the human subjects really well. And we've talked about when you have human participants, you have to agree to have your study reviewed and approved by a board of people in the United States. Um, All research done in the United States has to do that. I'm pretty sure they have equivalent things in other countries. And then also you have to agree to certain guidelines to protect them. So like for mosquitoes, one of the guidelines is you're not allowed to have people be bitten by mosquitoes because it's really dangerous. Full stop. Mm. So the setup of this study addresses that really well. So it looks like a really large cage. Yeah. So imagine outside. Actually, you know what it reminded me of is if you're at like a a public park and they have those picnic pavilions that are, they're like a pretty big solid arm, uh, like supporting structures. I want to call them arms. And then like a solid roof. Yeah. It looked almost like that, but then it seemed to be covered in some sort of mosquito netting. Okay. So that mosquitoes stay in. Normally, mosquito netting, I think, keeps them out.
1: Right, right.
0: But the um, the person on the interview, the primary investigator, he talked specifically about how they designed it in such a way that the temp- the natural temperatures that change, mm-hmm. and the winds that are changing, and the air pressure dropping and things, which could be impacting the mosquitoes, are still true to their natural environment.
1: Okay. Oh yeah.
0: And they set this up actually in a region in Zambia where malaria is relatively common Mm -hmm. and they use the type of mosquitoes that are present in that area. Okay. So all of that is really good in terms of we're not in a lab anymore. These mosquitoes are experiencing the outside world. It's not like a clean room with five smells only, you know, right, or two smells only. So I thought that that was really impressive that they were able to do that. Yeah. Um, And then they have these, and they did have some controls to make sure that it was really actually also working. We'll talk about that in a minute, but they seem to have done that successfully. And then they have some tents placed around the outside that have, it seemed like one way air pumping from the tent to where the mosquitoes were. So you can imagine one of those park pavilions and then say there's like, four or six little tents around it on the outside. Uh And there's a tube going from the tent to the pavilion. Okay. But the air is not coming back out.
1: Got it. Got it. So air
0: is being pumped in from the tents. Got it. And in those tents, you can have humans or it can be a control.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: So you can either take the odor from the human and pump it into the mosquito enclosure, or you're just taking control air from the enclosure or from the tent and pump it into the mosquito right, enclosure. Right, right. Okay, so that keeps the subjects, the human subjects safe away from the mosquitoes are not being bit, but it is genuinely the odor that they put out into the air that we're right. pumping it. Right, Okay, so that's different because normally, you know, it doesn't have the mosquitoes outside in their natural environment, and it's usually, you know, like something that the people have worn, I think is right. also pretty common. Right, right. Um, the other thing is in order to test those odors now, they had hot plates that were warm to the temperature of the human body and they had infrared cameras that detected motion only when a mosquito landed. So any like searching behavior, flying above behavior, that was not Uh taken into account only if they were like, yeah, we're going to come here and get a snack. Got it. Got it. Um, and so the they um, had the warm hot plates and they had the infrared cameras and then they had the air they could pipe over the top of those plates. So it was like this warm spot has human odor. Mm-hmm. And if it seems real enough to the mosquitoes, they could land and then they can.
1: count it. Got it. So trying to make, make the, the mosquitoes into thinking, Hey, here's a human over here. Mm-hmm. And this surface is, will, will seem like a human to you in terms of heat as well. Yep. Um, but then they can, they could change out based on the different tints they're having, which types of humans or what things, might cause them to prefer some humans over others. Yes, got it. Okay, but when when they land, they that's the only thing they were, trying to see yes. which do they prefer in terms of landing, not just like kind of hanging out nearby. Right. Got it. Okay,
0: and they did a lot of tests to actually make sure that this was working the way they think that it would work. So. We do this in, in my field a lot, um, but in any scientific field, if you have a new instrument, which is sort of what this is like, you have to make sure that it's measuring what you think it's measuring, mm. and you have to make sure that it is consistently measuring that thing. Yeah. So in my field, we call that validity and reliability. Um, valid, is it really doing what we think it's doing, and is it doing that reliably? Mm-hmm. Or accurate and precise, or um, accurate and consistent are also ones that you've heard, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, like in a thermometer, if your water is boiling and it says 32 degrees Fahrenheit, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's not a valid measurement. Right. And if you have a thermometer and you're, you're getting inconsistent results. So sometimes it's 32, sometimes it's 212 and sometimes it's 500. That's not a good sign either. Even though sometimes it's valid, it's not consistently valid. Right. So In this case, they did something similar. They uh, piped in just regular air with no excess carbon dioxide, just like background air is what they called it from the tents and had a hot plate and saw if mosquitoes were more attracted to the hot plate or without the heat. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing with carbon dioxide, um, heat and carbon dioxide, but not body odor. Did that impact? And the mosquitoes were more attracted to the carbon dioxide, which we would expect from previous experiments And then also they checked to see if, um, then they did test with just two humans to see how that would go. Okay. And for those of you who haven't listened to our previous episodes about mosquitoes, just to give a quick overview of why we even care about human body (laughs) odor, I guess I meant to say this at the top, but, um, it's okay. We can circle back. Essentially we do know that carbon dioxide seems to play a role in mosquitoes detecting us, temperature seems to play a role in mosquitoes detecting us and there is evidence that mosquitoes prefer some people over other people. Mm. And we last just a year ago saw a new study come out that also reinforced the idea that mosquitoes were consistently attracted to some people more than others and that was because of the presence of certain volatile organic compounds. And those are, our body naturally releases those, which is kind of funny because some people who are like trying to make you scared of chemicals say, oh, this thing has volatile organic compounds. That's terrible. Well, we also have those. (laughs) Um, It sounds scary and bad, especially when you say they're carboxylic acids. You're like, oh no, there are acids on my skin. But it's not bad. Carboxylic acid is just a a functional group, which is just an arrangement of atoms. Um, And it's not super acidic if it was, dangerous it would hurt us right so it's it's safe for it to be on our skin in our natural environments but those carboxylic acids specifically seem to be attracting mosquitoes and if you want to hear more about that the episodes are called the very first one we did was called how can mosquitoes smell you Uh, oh no the first one we did was why do mosquitoes bite people then do mosquitoes bite some people more than others and the one just a year ago is how can mosquitoes smell you new research Mm, yeah So that was when we found out that carboxylic acids were, you know, the suspicious thing. So they did these tests where they saw, oh yeah, they were attracted to heat. They were attracted to carbon dioxide over regular air. And, um, they were attracted to one human over another human, you know, so that all of that tracks with previous research as expected, and it reinforces the credibility of both the old research, you know, reproducible results. That's good. And it strengthens the credibility of this tent setup working. Nice. It indicates that we're getting the expected results. That's a good sign. Right.
1: Our instrument seems to be getting results that we can depend on.
0: Yes. And that we would expect. Yeah. So it seems valid. It seems reliable. This is a big deal. Because now that means that, oh, we can try to see if we could test multiple people from the different tents in here. But they did those tests just to make sure before we even start, okay, is this really working? And one thing they even noted when they had multiple subjects, when they blew in background air before the human odor was present, Mm -hmm. there was not landing activity from the mosquitoes. So it really seems like they're doing what they think that they're doing. And that's very exciting. Nice. So that's the background of the study. Let me make sure I covered everything because I... I'm so excited about this research that I kind of went off track from my notes. (laughs) I was like, it's just so exciting that we're doing this. Okay. Yeah. So I think we talked about it being reliable and consistent and they did the test, you know, to make sure are these things happening the way we want. And then, so then they started their comparisons between multiple humans. So they had six humans in six tents, I believe the picture only had four. So I was like, why are there four tents in the picture, but six in the, Study, but they may just have not taken a picture of that part. Okay. Um, so, or maybe, who knows, maybe the tents are split. I don't know. So they had um, six humans and they even rotated which tent the humans were in to make sure that it's not like, oh, mosquitoes are attracted to any human odor that's in this area more than the other. Right.
1: Or they love north. Yeah. Did mosquitoes love North. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, okay. We know they don't love
0: North. All right. Yes. We don't, we know they don't love North. If we rotated it, we're still getting consistent results. And they were able to find that, I guess I could just kind of give you some conclusions that okay. they gave. Okay. Okay. So they found the mosquitoes do prefer the smell of one human over the other. Okay. But in this group of six people, when there were six odors being blown in and- Imagine like there's one area that the odor is being blown over the hot plate Mm -hmm. and that mimics a human body. But the rest of the tent is just getting dispersed odor similar to what it would be like if there were six people standing in the tent. Okay. So the mosquitoes are in their naturalish environment and they are drawn to certain areas based on those odors is what it seems like. And there was consistently one of the participants was more attractive than the rest to mosquitoes. When I say attractive, I mean to mosquitoes, Mm -hmm. not how they look. (laughs) Right, right. And one of the participants was much less attractive to the mosquitoes than the rest. Interesting. So there was someone who was really attractive that had a high level of um, mosquito attractiveness, a high level of landings, and then someone who had minimal over- several, I think they had them sleep in there. So over several nights of the people sleeping in the tents, despite what tent they were in, these results were consistent. Got it. Isn't that exciting? That's
1: crazy. That's awesome.
0: It's so crazy.
1: Also, I didn't think about this. Maybe you said this earlier. I'm trying to like, there's so much to take in. I'm also trying to remember uh, what we learned last time, which is fuzzy for me, you know, or Mm -hmm. all the times we've talked about this. But did you already say that they're also kind of ruling out any potential variations in body temperature by having- these hot plates just be.
0: Yes. It's just out.
1: Yeah. That's like, that's perfect. I just was kind of realizing that yeah. now like, Oh, that's a great, they've nailed that.
0: And the other thing they did was, um, they controlled for body mass mm. because I, I never even would have thought of this, but maybe a larger person is putting out more volatile organic compounds because they have a wider surface area of skin or something. Right. Okay. So they controlled for the body mass and that was not a factor in who was more or less attractive. Cool. Cool. And they did, they did the statistics on the number of mosquito landings and they did find it's a statistically significant result, which when we say statistically significant, that means that there's like a certain percentage more than likely. So if you're like, oh, I think um, that's just random. It's like, no, there's only a 5% chance or whatever that you would get this many landings mm. randomly. Got it. Just by chance. It's like 5% chance that this is happening just by coincidence 95 mm-hmm. percent chance that this is a meaningful result
1: right right
0: is a good way that you can think about totally statistics.
1: and i guess there's like lots of room for random chance stuff with in these scenarios if you were able to like calculate that but yeah just thinking like what if a mosquito was already near mm-hmm. this tent yeah and they just decided to land there because it's more convenient yeah like that's obviously, obviously always a possibility. That's definitely some of
0: them. Yeah. Some yeah. of them are just already there, Yeah, but it seems like with the number and the math, it's far more likely that is meaningful than not meaningful Right, is right. the best way I can think to phrase Especially that. Especially if
1: they're switching people's tents, then you, that helps rule that out too.
0: Yeah. They did so much to rule out like body temperature, mass location of the tents and they did it over several nights. So the weather conditions aren't playing a role. You know, it's like they've, they've let all these, they've thought of all these different things in the experimental design, which is really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so they found that and then let me find my list of things that they, oh yes. The comparison between six people. And then they took the body samples, you know, the odor samples Mm -hmm. and they, um, Looked at it, the, they broke down in gas chromatography, which we talked about before, is similar to like if you've ever done that experiment with the coffee filter where you draw with like a black marker and you put it in water and you see that all the colors that make a black separate out. Uh-huh. That's based on the different properties of the different molecules and how they interact with the coffee filter. Well, you can do the same thing with gas and you can put gas with all of the different molecules in it through sort of a filter and it will separate the different molecules based on their properties. So you get the group of molecules and then you can feed that into another instrument that tells us it's called the mass spectrometer. And it kind of tells you the breakdown of the, if the different molecules, it's a, it's a beautiful art. Mass spectrometry is hard for me (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's hard to interpret the results that it gives in my opinion, but people who do are very skilled and very good at it. Mm. So you, you separate out the different molecules that are present in the human's body odor. And then you run it through the, um, this instrument that gives you information that we can say, Oh, this is this molecule. This is that molecule. Got it. And what they found is the person who was very um, not attractive, had less carboxylic acids present in their volatile organic compounds. Okay. But they had three times more of a specific compound called monoterpenoid eucalyptol. Okay. It's what it sounds like, eucalyptus. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it comes from eucalyptus and a lot of other plants too. Uh-huh. They also had more of a few other things. So less of carboxylic acid, more eucalyptol, l- more of a few other things that weren't listed as really, I guess, a significant level more. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. Yeah because it could be well there's a few different things it could be we don't know the causal relationship we don't know is a person less attractive because of their volatile organic compounds is it they, are they less attractive you know whatever we don't know is it because they have less of the carboxylic acid possibly is it because the eucalyptol does something to suppress the evaporation of the carboxylic acids that are maybe present on their skin similar to how DEET seems to work sort of like seems to smother our actual volatile organic compounds. Right, right. Could it be that? Um, And then the question is also why are there volatile organic compounds different? Yeah. eucalyptol is found primarily in plants. Um, I think this person had a high plant diet, maybe exclusively plant-based. So could it be that our diet impacts the volatile organic compounds that then signal to mosquitoes that were there? We know that that sort of happens when you drink alcohol. Right. So I was like, this is wild. Yeah. So there's so many more questions than answers, but what's exciting is because they have shown that this setup is an effective way to compare. Mm -hmm. They can start to control for those types of factors and try to see where correlations exist. Yeah, yeah. Do people who have entirely plant-based diets versus people who eat, exclusively meat attract mosquitoes differently. Right. Is it something in their blood type, which is, that's a question we get all the time. And in one of the interviews with the PI, he said, um, we hear that too a lot, mm-hmm. you know, is that our blood type, we could test that we could separate people up by their blood type and yeah. see if a blood type seems to attract. So because we have this ability to compare multiple people in a semi-natural environment, it gives us more control. I'm saying we like, as if I'm doing the research, I'm not, but scientists, Yeah, yeah. it gives scientists more ability to control for control groups and try to identify new information. Right. So this, this is almost like they've developed a new, we call um, in chemistry education research, if we make a survey or an inventory that checks something, we call that an instrument. So it feels kind of like they've made an instrument (laughs) that they can use to identify who's more attractive to mosquitoes. And that is the next stair step in knowing why and how to stop people from being attracted. So I think that that's really cool. That's awesome. And I'm really excited about it.
1: Yeah. It's also, it's amazing because I feel like, like you explaining it well and I can, I feel like I've visualized it quite well now it does feel like, oh, you could you could test everything under the sun. As long <laughs> as you have this setup replicated as they had done it mm-hmm. and you have the controls in place, mm-hmm. then it's like, yeah, you could put whatever groups you want. And yeah. like, maybe there's a group that's attractive to mosquitoes and another group's attractive, then you can play them against each other and see yeah. which one seems more attractive if you take out other options and stuff like that. It seems like you could just keep going, keep going. And then if you keep finding the same results over and over, then maybe you could see... What causes that result too? Like, yeah. okay, these group, these people are always less attractive to mosquitoes. Now let's see if we can prove it's their diet. Yes, at, or whatever. After or
0: maybe we can make a one thing. I thought is if is it the eucalyptol? Yeah, let's make a eucalyptol spray that's right. skin safe. You know, <laughs> and
1: then try to yeah try to put that on a people who only eat meat and see if it cancels Does out there or yeah. whatever. Yeah.
0: And he also talked about in that same interview, like, oh, we know that pregnant women are more attractive to mosquitoes. We've talked about that in a previous episode. So my question is, is it because their metabolism is higher or is it because they're putting out some compound because they're pregnant? Right. And then is there a way that we could mask that or suppress it so that pregnant women don't have a higher rate of malaria because they have a higher rate of attraction? And that's, you know, historically a group that is more at risk to get diseases, yeah, you know? yep, So right. it's just like, wow, the possibilities that this opens up and, and it's really, really exciting to me that it's in, they called it like semi-field, you know, like a field study would be going out into the nature. You can't yeah. really do that. I think you can't probably maybe control the number of mosquitoes and stuff as much, but it's as close to their natural environment as we're going to get. Yeah. So that's just, really exciting to me. I think it's really cool research and it's fun that we've seen the progression. It's like, okay, well we saw, you know, this study then last, we saw all the original information that was out. And last year we saw the new study with the nylons and comparing in these boxes. And now we're not in a sterile lab type environment. We are in nature and we're seeing consistently the same results with the carboxylic acids. We're seeing the heat and carbon dioxide and then now it does seem like those volatile organic compounds are playing a significant role in the attraction of mosquitoes. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? How can we reverse engineer that to protect ourselves? Yeah, yeah. So cool.
1: That's really cool. Man, wow. I know. Cool. So, Very cool update.
0: <laughs> thanks. I was like, ah, oh, Nicole, you're an angel. Thank you for sending this. Okay, so I thought you could try to summar- summarize your major takeaways. You kind of already did.
1: Yeah, I kind of did it as we went, partly because I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting lost because so many layers to it and there's a lot of imagining having not seen the stuff myself or the pictures or whatever myself uh i don't know if i have any major takeaways in addition to that If that makes sense
0: yeah you've already kind of voiced them as you went yeah yeah well um i'm glad that you did that and (laughs) i was had a fun fact for you so since you did that i'll give you a fun fact anyway
1: nice i'll take it
0: Um, has already been shown to have some deodorizing and anti-inflammatory properties. Nice. And it has been approved by the FDA for use in food to improve flavor and smell. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't be super surprised, honestly, if some, this is chemistry off the cuff. I wouldn't be surprised if people are like, oh, this is FDA approved. It's safe. Um, let's make a mosquito repellent spray before the science supports that explicitly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. So, and then they used this study, you know? There's a lot of publicity about it. So be wary. Don't just trust it because there's this correlational relationship. We Mm -hmm. don't know the causation. Mm -hmm. But that is a good news to me that it already is known to have some deodorizing and anti-inflammatory properties because that does mean if eucalyptol matters... We can leverage that. Yeah. And it also makes me kind of wonder if that had anything to do with um, you know, we talked about how that native populations and indigenous people would braid certain types of grasses to keep mosquitoes as repellent. I'm uh-huh. like, what was in that? What's our eucalyptus?
1: Right, right, right.
0: So those are just me speculating. Like if I was in this study, these are things that I would be wondering, like,
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? Totally. <laughs>
0: So that's cool. And I always love um, honoring indigenous knowledge because they figured out a lot of stuff before Western science has figured it out. Yeah. So that's so cool and exciting. Um, I think that's everything I have. Be sure to go check out from these scientists their own words. Um, And as more mosquito news comes out, you can trust me to update.
1: Nice. <laughs> I love it. It's just like this story that's unfolding over time, which is super cool. And it's so.
0: just such a great opportunity to talk about all of what a scientific study is really like. Yeah. And all the different players and things they have to think about. I mean, this wasn't exhaustive obviously, but just like, Oh yeah, this is a good opportunity to talk about human subjects research, to talk about making sure our instruments are valid, to talk about the importance of study design, to talk about the fact that these, There's statistic results, but we don't know what's causing what. So don't jump into it yet. We we still have more to do. You know, I just think it's fun to unpack all of those little pieces that are present in studies that maybe if you just read a news article or listen to a five minute interview, you're not going to get to hear all that. Yeah. Yeah those studies aren't assuming that we've already talked about or those interviews or articles aren't assuming that we've already talked about the other studies, you know? So (laughs) it's fun that I get to talk back about it and how the body of science builds on itself.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's awesome.
0: Yay. Thanks for being on this journey with me.
1: Oh dude, this is the best. And thank you. I bet about a bunch of our listeners have that have listened to those earlier episodes of mosquitoes it's like, obviously there's cool things that we already had, but mm-hmm. it's also like every time we've talked about it, it's been like, yep, but there's still mysteries left. So it's ah. like, if you've been someone who's been along for the ride, um, thanks for continuing to check in and learn new research with us. Yeah. Um, they keep getting a little further, but still have cliffhangers, you know, which is pretty fun.
0: Which is also real life science for sure. <laughs> right. Just such a good example of like how the scientific process happens. You know, this guy yeah. had to write a grant and how to get money and then. They had to plan it and they had to take all the other cities that exist into account when they were planning it and then they had to go there and get human subjects and who yeah. knows if they brought human subjects or if they recruited them there and you know it's just so they had to literally build a structure. I mean there's so much that goes into it. So yeah. I think that's really cool. Awesome. Okay, well, um speaking of cool things, yes. is there any fun cool things that happened in your week that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Uh, Yes, there is one that you and some of our patrons already heard me talk about. We had our, um, you'll recognize it in a second. We had our monthly coffee hour with our top tier of patrons last week. Super fun. But I shared about how I finished watching the show Succession.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And it's been one of my favorite shows over the past several years. It it had its fourth season finale last week and it was the, it's it's like the series finale, like over, over. Wow. And so it was like this big deal. It also feels sometimes like shows don't always end on purpose sometimes or yeah. they keep going and you're kind of lost interest before they really actually end. Mm-hmm. This was n- not those situations. It was like it ended, it had a four season arc. They did a good job of like like building to it, all that kind of stuff. Very good. Very sad that the show is just over. It had a good ending. I mean, I would say it ended the way that it should have. Yeah. Without it being obvious. It Satisfying wasn't.
0: Satisfying, like, but not like predictable. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So, but I'm, I'm mourning the loss of the show. Oh, yeah. That's the that's biggest so feeling worse. I have. And it's not even one that like, like each season has only a handful of episodes. It's like eight episodes a season. Something like yeah. that. But, I think even when the other seasons ended, I knew it wasn't over. And so there wasn't anything to mourn yet. It was like, oh, now I'm going back into waiting mode. Yeah. And there's no waiting. It's over.
0: Yeah. It's over.
1: So so that's kind of sad, but it was very good. If you have watched that show at all, heard about it or whatever, I recommend it. It's not ever cup of tea though. So just, it's nice to know without any spoilers that uh, it ends in a, properly they do a good job
0: yeah they don't let it just die out
1: yep yeah, you're not, shows. you're not gonna be like bummed that you invested <laughs> time yeah. into it so that's what i would say but Great. Um, anyway so I'm, I'm feeling that mixture of, it's
0: fun but sad yep
1: satisfied but sad that kind of thing so yeah what I, about you
0: i recently finished a very long book that i listened to the audiobook of it was uh-huh. like 20 hours uh-huh. and i was like man Now, what am I going to listen to? I got to go back on the hunt. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Or like if you, if I mean, some of our listeners may have had this experience, but whenever I first found out that there were podcasts, I was in a heavy true crime phase in my life. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) is your wife. And we found this true crime podcast and there were literally 200 episodes when I found it. And I was like, Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was in the lab all the time at that time. <laughs> so it was like, I always had companions and then it ended and I was like, wait, I didn't think this would ever end. I didn't think I'd ever get caught up to this. Right. And now I have to wait every week, but even that, at least it's still coming out. Yeah, that's
1: true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, okay. So that's not my happy thing though. Oh, Okay. That was just a side note. That was just <laughs> empathy. <laughs> um, uh, last week I think I talked to you about my nephew's graduation? Yes. And m- the baby shower? Yes. And all those are f- super fun things with my side of the family. Uh. Uh-huh. Well, now this upcoming week, Mason's family is coming into
1: town. Nice. So
0: I got to spend time with my family. My sister, my brother-in-law surprised us. That was so cute. I didn't know he was going to be there. And then, you know, my brother and his wife and the And the little baby that exists and the new baby that exists only in the womb. Yeah. They were all there. My dad, everyone. It was really nice and fun. And then this upcoming week, his, that like same equivalent group of his family is coming. Nice. And yeah, we're going to go hang out at um, a hotel and yeah, just get some time together. So I'm really excited. That'll be awesome. love spending time with family. I think it's really important. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. That's great.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks again, Jam, for letting me um, really nerd out hardcore (laughs) about this chemistry study. I was really, I guess it's not chemistry, but about this mosquito study. Yeah, I was really excited to share the next step and that y'all have been on this journey with me.
1: Well, thank you for nerding out and thank you for bringing us along. And Melissa and I have a lot of ideas for topics of chemistry in everyday life, but we want to hear from you. What are things that you've wondered about? Things like mosquitoes that have a lot of chemistry at play. Things like other just everyday either issues that need solving or things that are already solved but you wonder how they work, let us know your ideas. Some of our best episodes come from you guys. I think so
0: mosquitoes came from a listener.
1: Probably did. I mean, it makes sense. So if you have questions or ideas, you can reach out to us on our website at chemforyourlife.com. That's chem, F-O-R, your life, dot com, to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the costs of making it, go to patreon.com slash chemforyourlife or type the link in our show notes or the description to join our super cool community of patrons. If you're not able to do that, you can still help us by subscribing on YouTube and also on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing our review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us share chemistry with even more people.
0: This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. Jam Robinson is our producer. And this episode was made possible partially by the scientist who did the work. So shout out, go check them out on Twitter. But especially by our financial supporters on Patreon. We could not do this podcast without them. And it means so much to us that they want to help us make chemistry accessible to even more people. So thanks to y'all. Avishai B, Bree M, Brian K, Chris and Claire S, Chelsea B, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Nellie S, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne S, Timothy P, and Venus R. Thank you again for everything you do to make Chemistry for Your Life happen and for letting us share such cool topics like this with the world.
1: And like Melissa said earlier, if you'd like to learn more about today's chemistry lesson, you can check out the references for this episode in our show notes or in the description of the video. (laughs) Yeah, chemistry. Hey, chemistry. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like how that's just evolved into something we do. Yeah. <laughs> the, it's like, it feels wrong. We can't finish without it. Yeah. Now. <laughs>
1: some sort of clear ending.
0: For me. <laughs>